Welcome again to uh, the Interjections podcast. We've subtitled this The Undiscovered Decade because we take a look at the movies we think that have been lost to time a little bit from the decade that we grew up in, the 1990s. And so now we're in October 1990, and we're uh, looking at Quigley Down Under. We're finally looking at an actual Western since Jimmy yeah. thinks everything is a yeah. super Western. Always relating every movie we've seen so far to a Western. It's like, oh, yeah. This this buddy cop movie, it's a western. This weirdly, movie, Back to the Future Part Three, not no. a western. Well, back to the Discovery, yeah. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> we tried to get him in already, but it's not a real western. Yeah, it's this a, is a real western. Ah, yeah. There he is. That's Tom you know, Selleck hovering above Jeff. I've I've fulfilled my dream of becoming Tom Selleck's mustache. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way this graphic is laid out, and the midriff of Alan Rickman. Yes. hovering in the background yep oh yeah that is him. that black swath <laughs> yeah yeah right he's a black hat in the movie i don't know yeah. why he cropped it this way late right now Rickman. so uh there's not too much to this plot it's pretty much a straightforward western except that it takes place in australia yeah uh, tom Selleck's hired by alan rickman for a specific job because he's a sharpshooter he gets to demonstrate that uh, and eventually he pisses Alan Rickman off because Tom Selleck realizes that uh, Alan Rickman is using the Aboriginal people around him kind of like well, slaves. So. A little more specific. Well, I think he uses a genocide, right? Well, no, they do a little bit, but like they just like uh, gloss over it in a uh, dialogue and then they come back around to it later on in the film. What happens is like uh, Alan Rickman's character hires a. Uh, um... Wow. Matthew Quigley. Matthew Tom Selleck. Matthew Quigley. So like. Um, he hires him uh, through an ad that he p- puts out worldwide uh, asking for like the best sharpshooters to come to Australia to hunt dingoes and when he gets there he's like so these dingoes you want me to hunt uh, I see they're very smart and a gang of people why do you need me and it turns out he actually needs them to hunt aboriginals instead of dingoes it was like a little it was a you know kind of a farce i was an idiot because they end up showing two british soldier runaways so i thought he was just to catch runaways from his crew that were pissing them off i think i'm an idiot yeah that was kind of also the aboriginal yeah Yeah, that was kind of a red herring because like (laughs) uh, you don't you don't realize why he's there until like after those uh runaway soldiers are yeah. executed and I mean, he's like we'll talk over dinner and then that's when you find yeah, out yeah. The, uh, like yeah, yeah. Well, his real purpose screen, is there for there kind of but you get the sense <clears> of <throat> racist and i just figured it was the mistreatment of aboriginal people that he was no he was a straight up slave trader it makes more sense i'm just dead. which yeah uh so there's a third element to this that when he first arrives there uh Marston is Rickman's name. Marston's men are to pick him up, but they're also getting a couple of women to bring back to the the, the ranch. And uh, one of them is played by Laura San Giacomo, who you can see over Jeff's oh, yeah. right shoulder. Right, 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 right. Uh, she, you'll know her from Pretty Woman as uh, Julia Roberts' best friend in that. Uh, so she's playing a whore again. See, I, I knew her from, from Just Shoot Me. Oh, that's I, that's I why I was excited. I was and like, oh my god. She was a hooker with a drug problem. Now she's a hooker. That's crazy. Yep, crazy for her. Crazy. Well, thing. I mean, I brought her yeah, up pretty woman a couple months ago. So yeah. It's funny that we keep getting people that we've seen it, before. We, we've been consistently getting a yeah. lot of movies with uh, prostitutes in them. 
that too. Yeah, what's up with that? Yeah, I think the 90s is tr- like who's in charge of selecting these movies? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh well actually this one was a, a personal favorite of mine when I was a kid. So this is all on me. Uh but it isn't exactly one of the reasons I love westerns. I just thought it was fascinating that we got one in the Australian outback. You don't get a lot of things out there. Um a lot of films which, do touch on the plight of the aboriginals, like uh, Rapid Proof Fence, which comes out. It's a great movie. Which, in, yeah, in all honesty, like, if it weren't for the, the aboriginal uh, factor, oh. they, you, you wouldn't have even known that it was in Australia. I was going to say, they didn't utilize the actors, that very well. Yeah, none of the actors, like, you have two American actors yeah. going against British actors in Australia. Yeah. Which... I mean, Australia is essentially Britain's prison. Right, but it's just yeah. like, I, I heard one person with an Australian accent the entire movie, and it was one of his... Ben Mendelsohn, one of his men. Well, director Krennic. Well, in Australia has only been colonized for a little while at this point, so they hadn't developed that, that accent that we're familiar with. Like, there's still people, like, incoming from the United Kingdom and yeah. other parts of Europe. Okay, well that's fair. See that now now there's a bit of a historical context that I wasn't yeah. aware of. It doesn't have to be precise to 2020, you know, or 1990 yeah. at least. Um, but yeah, Ben Mendelsohn in one of his early roles was pretty funny uh, as a kid that can't quite shoot well. Well, he eventually <laughs> gets good, and then you know it was a waste of time. Yep. I did like that he ended up one of the final three. Uh, there's that dude with a, the Kanga hat that Jeff used to like and uh, and Ben Mendelsohn. The, the final three when there's the standoff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Standing the hills. Yeah. It's yeah, like the, his the, second in command. That's Tony <clears throat> Bonner, who was an Australian actor that we uh, never really saw outside of Australia. But. Yeah. So, I mean, now that we've seen a full-on Western. I mean, we saw Back to the Future 3, but right. how did you guys feel about actually getting to see one from the 90s? I could see why they died off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very quaintly old-fashioned to the point of almost being corny. Especially oh, the musical score. See, I, um, thought, I thought the score was the best part. Um, like, it was a, it was a top-notch score maybe the parts i found intrusive were the stuff with uh laura san giacomo like the uh the very farcical stuff like it sounded very sitcom-y on top of that her role is very annoying where she doesn't recognize him and she's pretending he's roy or i knew there was gonna be some tragic backstory yeah i know (laughs) Speaking right. of how Jimmy you know, says that everything's fit, fit amazingly in an anime. Yeah, Speaking of how Jimmy says idea. everything's a western, I was and thinking about how well, animes. They, well, they they took some cliches from other um, <clears throat> westerns that would be set in the U.S. and just uh, kind of modernized them. So instead of them, they have the part that cliche part where they're walking through the desert and they collapse from heat exhaustion. And sure. then instead of being revived by a, a Native American shaman, they're revived by the Aboriginals. Aboriginals yeah, yeah it's, it's a very cliche scene, but it's cool that they transpose that to Australia. Yeah. 
Uh, it was actually being developed for about 20 years trying to make like a traditional Western because uh, this, this writer, uh, what was it, John, such a simple name, I always forget them, John Hill. Uh, he was trying to develop it with Steve McQueen of all people. And that was around the time Steve McQueen got his cancer. So he never really was able to even discuss making the film. So Hill moved on to try and develop it with Clint Eastwood. That's when uh, the director, Simon Mercer, Simon Windsor came Winsor. on. And uh, he had done a couple of TV films like The Light Horseman, which was a, a bit famous from being a war film in Australia. And uh, they started developing that together and Clint just fell off, I guess. I didn't see any reason why he wasn't in it, but then they had Tom Selleck on for quite a while uh, and finally made it in 89, 90. So this is the showdown I was talking about behind Jeff. Uh, so Marston is in the black and white right there and Tom Selleck's in the foreground. And then Mendelssohn is in the far point. So I just thought it was cool that Ben Mendelssohn was in a movie so early in his career. Yeah, I didn't realize he uh, had roles like pre-2010. You know, yeah, before Animal Kingdom kind of broke yeah. him up. Yeah. Uh, he, he was in a lot of Australian stuff, so we just weren't seeing it. Yeah. I think he was on that one sitcom Neighbors that everyone in Australia gets on. So, but I, uh, what did you think specifically the two main leads? Like there, there's not too much gray line. Marston is clearly a uh, black hat villain right. and Tom Selleck is too good for anyone. He's a little saintly. Yeah. yeah. He's a good and proper American. Yep. Never really point out like where in America he's from and if this is like 1870 he probably... I figured the Dakotas, him. right? Yeah, they never really say like... Wyoming. I figure like Texas. I don't... I'm not sure if there was a war yet. You think then, this is before? Because like, because um, when you see Tom Selleck's character and he's in, he introduces himself and uh, he's showing off his skills, first thing he shows off is his equipment, his rifle, what he uses. And um, he was getting all uh, uh, technical and uh, schmarmy with uh, his uh, gun. And uh, it comes out that like... Um, it's oh, a breech loader that's that's ex, like it's experimental and it has experimental ammunition yeah. but that's probably because like how much powder is put into it and uh right um yeah. uh the size of the caliber I, but, um i also feel like i don't i think uh from what i got like this might be like pre-civil war mm -hmm. where no. people didn't have like cartridges just yet to sure. yeah i feel like it was actually turn of the century um because 1900 yeah like late 1800s like in between like before 1912 or whatever because they referenced doc holiday yeah uh, yeah. Um, yeah i was trying to figure out he, they also mentioned the colt gun has just been developed well the uh, the so, army colts yeah and so jimmy when did that come out yeah, okay yeah maybe it might be might, because like yeah. um another thing that like uh um well, something to do with that. The Australian Western period, too, extended longer than ours just because the desert's there. It's yeah, not like, like our Western imagination is always desert, but in real life, we're going to Oregon where there's, you know, it's full of yeah, pines and, and everything. And then, like, you also, have Kansas technically and yeah. it's plains. 
So and, and to get to Australia, you have to take a boat. Whereas here right. in the United States, all you had to do was just walk west. And they were having their own Western period, but it wasn't like refugees from the Civil War. It was just the prisoners were finally being, it was three generations later from the original prisoners, but they weren't prisoners themselves. So they were trying to figure out how to live off a d desert, essentially. And that's why everyone moved to the coast where there's actually fertile land. But um, yeah, it's not clear when this actually takes place. So anywhere between 1869 to 1880. Yeah. Do we see any railroads in the background before or after? Who knows? I saw the original script was supposed to be around when Jeff is saying, but it didn't say when it actually is in that trivia. So yeah. I don't know that that's actually true. It's just, quote unquote, the Old West. Yeah, they didn't Down care. under. It's so thin of a plot. They just wanted to see Tom Selleck in a Western, you know? I don't, I meant to look up if he'd ever done other Westerns, and I feel like he did a couple of TV movies, maybe? Well, that's actually, I was going to point that out. That's what this felt like, partly because it was Tom Selleck and partly because of the pacing. It felt like they had lifted, uh, a made-for-TV movie and just filled in the gaps where the commercials would be with just more walking scenes. <laughs> no, he's right. Like and, reverse. And even the film stock and the way it's edited and the way it's shot looks like a TV film. Well, that's what mostly Simon Winter has done, so maybe yeah. that's most of it. But I, I'm uh, fine with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought it looked like it was like, you know, like an actual Western that was filmed in the 60s. Yeah, what were you saying about the film stock? Oh yeah, no, it, like the way the way that the uh, they use their colors, how it's like bright and vibrant in the beginning, and then slowly it becomes like muted the closer you get to the end. Uh, and it also helps that like uh, Tom Selleck's character, like he gets dirtied up pretty pretty good. So like yeah. he goes from a bright blue, uh, well maybe not bright blue, but a vibrant blue shirt, the red handkerchief. And all of a sudden, like by the end of the movie, it's, like he's so grimy, and the film's becoming more muted. Um, it's like a just kind of dark, not yeah. not so vibrant blue, and like you know, I mean, you still see the red handkerchief. And, and then like three uh, months on a boat. Yeah, and then like I I started like noticing like uh, the way that the uh, the sky looked in comparison to him looked uh, had a had a grain to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know who I thought would have been a good choice for this if they wanted to give it some like uh, real Australian atmosphere was uh, Russell Mulcahy. Mm -hmm. yeah, what else and, is uh, I'm not sure they know where our audience um, is. Like he's done Highlander and he's done, um, honestly, in terms of like Jaws ripoffs, one of the best, one of the most striking uh, looking ones is uh, Razorback. Razorback's mm -hmm. just like gorgeous to look at just from like What's a cinem cinemographic point of view. creature? Is it uh, a pig, I guess? Like it's, a giant a, yeah, it's a wild pig. boar. Yeah. Also, going back to the question about oh, he did Tom the shadow had been in. Yeah. Well, there's an entire like he's done enough westerns to warrant an entire DVD release box set of all of his westerns. <laughs> Has you he know. really? Yeah, the Tom Selleck Western Collection. Um, but he was in like oh Prosper, yeah, that's right. I see that Trail, at Walmart. Monty Walsh, Shadow Riders, Saber River. They're all TV even Concrete Cowboys. Yeah, I think I think I think it was just like in the back of my head that he probably did this, but they're all after this, right? I don't know if they. Have uh, it's actually, the same thing with those Jesse Stone police dramas that he does. Yeah. No, it's essentially an extension of his Blue Bloods career. Shadow Riders was before. 
and Concrete Cowboys. But yeah, I think most of his Western career came after Quigley. Yeah. Just imagine what would have come of this if he had actually been Indiana Jones. Is this uh, before or after Three Men and a Baby? After, because uh, remember we were talking about Nancy Travis having right. come back from the sequel this year. Yes. Ah, yeah, we're we'll talk about the that. second one. Mm-hmm. I think the second one came out in like May 1990. I forget. It earlier. No, I think it's coming up next month. Actually, we'll discuss it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think uh, they're kind of they're kind of treading on uh archetypes for both of these actors, which they play into them perfectly. They're perfectly cast. Because around this time, you had Alan Rickman doing Die Hard, obviously, which is one of his biggest roles. And he has this, and then after that, he does Robin Hood, Sheriff of Nottingham. So yeah. he's kind of getting typecast a bit. Yeah. But he's so good in these roles. How could you deny it? I know it's kind of thin, but this ended up being one of my favorite villain roles he'd done, mostly because it's undersung. I think a better movie was if they kept facing off or something, but he has to get across the desert to have one final showdown. I just wish there was like... I don't know what I want this plot to be, but I want them to face off a couple of times. Mm. So it would give them more uh, to work off of. Once they get dumped into the off. desert, you don't see them again together in the same frame until the climax. It's just the bookends, really. Yeah. And it becomes more of a desert movie. Yeah. And I like Horace San Giacomo, but you're right. The role is a little overbaked. Yeah, it was. Not a- her fault. I think she she does the best she can. I think it's the writing. Yeah. Yeah. They they needed, I don't know. It was the '90s. They needed him to have a female foil that he ends up kissing in slow motion at the end. Yeah. Which was wasn't that a freeze frame too? Yeah, it was a freeze frame, but they got it like they didn't even shoot it in slow motion. It was like they did it in post. It was all like very clippy as they were going. (laughs) So you see what what the frame rate was. They were doing slow motion themselves. It was almost a slideshow, like they were hesitating at the end. Like, should we do this? I I mean, I guess we waited long enough. Is this a flash animation? Did we take out the frames? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, she she was good. I liked her. performance especially when she was like seeing like you know all of these aboriginal bodies being dumped off a cliff and she like it was a really emotional moment um and the scene with the dingoes in the cave like that was kind of laughed at that of course you did it was a little histrionic but it was i i don't know i like that but then she disappears for like until like the very end and then she shows yeah, he gives like dumping her in the cave. Well, he dumped her in a cave so he could go to a town and get some food. He, did, he didn't and dump like, remember he, he tried to he retrieves her. Yeah, it's a little weird that it took him a while to leave. But it's like, just I'm gonna like, go commit murder now. So you shouldn't be around when I'm committing murder. It was just her. weird how like he, he almost felt like he was her babysitter the whole yeah. time. And then just at the end, like, ah, whatever, we might as well just... I was going to say, I didn't notice a lot of chemistry. No, especially because she kept calling him by the wrong name, but then that ended up being a plot device at the end. And you're like, oh. And she's like, I knew your name the whole time. I'm like, okay. Just try to to leave little subliminal messages so that you don't give your real name and get arrested, you know? You know, one aspect of the movie I noticed, especially towards the climax, and it happened throughout... I mean the whole the whole movie's about the hardware, right? But the the sound effects for the bullet recoils and the shots are mm-hmm. magnified 
Oh yeah. Really magnified in this. Like, of exactly. oh, yeah, this. <laughs> like if this were a Christopher Nolan movie, you wouldn't hear any of the dialogue. <laughs> the, the sound design and mixing were also phenomenal. Yeah. Um, well, of course, you know, because you know, like you said, it's about the hardware and they're trying to make the gun super important. So much so that apparently the that type of gun or like you know whatever came from that prototype um, are now so uh, according to the trivia here so inseparably related to this film that they're commonly nicknamed Quigley guns. And oh, apparently, like after this right, movie yeah. came out, after this movie came out, those those guns like the sale went up like over a thousand percent. Really, that's I'm not surprised. It's like swingline staplers from Office Space. There's. Yeah. There's a thing within the marksman community uh, where if you get two targets in a row, it's called getting a Quigley now. Uh, from wow. This. Hmm. Yeah. I'm surprised. How did the movie do upon that. release? Uh, it initially did fine, but it was in what? Uh, third place, I think. Yeah, it came in third. It only got 3.8 million, but first place got five. So it wasn't that different. And it got I saw in your facts. In America. So I saw on your fact sheet that it went down and then miraculously it went up and like it's like fifth fifth week fourth, something like that. Fourth week. It had been in ninth in the third week and then came back up. So it wasn't like there were there were a bunch of movies coming out every week. And it's the same week that Dances with Wolves comes out. So you would think that mm. people would go to see something new that's about the West and the one that ended up winning Best Picture. But people were still hungry for Tom Selleck. So. And they still are. Yeah. <laughs> Blue bloods. As long as he keeps yeah. that mustache. Yeah, it's that weird. Magnificent it's all Richard is uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> uh it did fine though. I mean, for what it is, 21 ain't horrible in 1990. I'm actually surprised that this did that decently that they didn't try to fast track a sequel. Yeah. I could see him globe trotting to other places. Yeah. yeah? Yeah, you're right. Quigley, see what he was like in the actual West before he came here. Quigley goes north. Yeah, Quigley goes north. It's just him in the Quigley Canadian wilderness. Quigley and Big Ben. Yeah. He's just in the Canadian wilderness. Quigley, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> Mr. Quigley, which is just the actual Mr. Baseball that he does a few years. Quigley on the frozen tundra. He goes to we got we to get a prequel going, you know? Quigley origins, you know. Quigley and the mystery of the lost treasure. The adventures young, of young Quigley. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, like the sh- get River Phoenix into it. Shooting squirrels with BBs and then, you know. Quigley over the moon. <laughs> he's going to space. Eventually, every franchise goes to space. Oh, yeah. He's like 80 getting up there finally. Quigley slowly. Quigley to the future. He comes back with Doc and Marty. Oh boy, now we're just now we're just getting into once a million ways to find the West territory. Oh, just all these Western cameos. Oh, oh no. and then like there's like a under underground like script, Quigley in the Second Amendment. You know, it's got on right wing sites. Funny you say that. Actually, um, Tom Selleck donated this rifle and any others that he's used in films uh, to the NRA Museum. He's an NRA spokesman. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're going to start selling yeah. them off soon. It's a Second Amendment guy. Yeah. He had a pretty heated debate with uh, Rosie O'Donnell on her show. Not surprised. Yeah. Well, the NRA is probably going to start selling them off soon anyway. Yeah. 
It is a neat gun. I did like it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's a breech loader with special ammunition, yeah. longer barrel, and unique sights that never really existed. Yeah. Can we can we have a new segment where it's just Jimmy's analyzing whatever weapons are used in the movie? <laughs> I like he just fetishizes weapons. Yeah. So I mean, uh, I for for this film, I like that like he's using a rifle and it's a single shot bre breech loader, and it like because of that, it controls the pacing of the action. Because like people yeah. are used to yeah. at this point, like quick quick shooting, big bangs and. Sparky, sparky, boom everywhere! Like pop, 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 pop. They used to see Remy's quick in the dead. That's why. Yeah. I, I also liked how uh, Laura Zagoma. So, damn it! I can't pronounce her last Laura name. Sand. But just call Laura Sand. Crazy Cora yeah. counted the bullets. She did actually. In, in the, in the revolver, she yeah. You don't really very, get that. very Archer of her. Pre-Archer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's what uh, my roommate Jim from college would always complain about in movies. So I've now noticed in things when they don't yeah. use up their bullets. Like uh, King of New York was way off on how many bullets Lawrence Fishburne used. So he was, he had like seven guns on him. It's a stylistic yeah. choice. So yeah, I mean, you can't really complain, but it's nice when it does get pointed out. Yeah. Right. But when the, when the whole point is like, you know, one of the one of the Western tropes is like you've got one gun and so much ammunition. Yeah. Or Wait, like so, so you're gonna make so it all count. Having to kill himself, yeah. So hold yeah. on. Th this came out the same time as uh, Dances with Wolves. Yeah, like a month beforehand, maybe three weeks. Yeah. So we had two white savior Western movies. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yes, we did. That hasn't stopped, Jimmy. No, they still do those. I mean, I, I don't know, but like they had <laughs> two of them come out. At essentially the same time, we went to see that Christian Bale movie. Yeah, no, true. <laughs> not, not gonna lie, like, some, like, with with that in the back of my mind, I'm just like, oh god. But like, it's they, funny because I literally just movies. watched News of the World, which is. Kind yep, of that is uh, also, isn't it? <laughs> News, they're still doing it today. News of the World. Yeah, no, true. Yeah, I mean, but it's Tom Hanks. It's a genre, man. People are still gonna pay money, even if it's over streaming now. I like saying ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to say okay. okay. Oh, this is also since 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 like since like I'm always going like West. Every movie's a Western. Yeah. The, this movie's a Western, and it has very anime elements. It's also a very Jesus film. Yeah, he has a. Well, doesn't he have a wound? Doesn't he have a wound in the traditional spot when Jesus was crucified? And he kind of resurrects Wait. out in the desert. Yeah, true. We're tricking the dude. But uh, mo mostly because, like, uh, when they save an Aboriginal child from the uh, death cliff, yeah, um, <laughs> like Quigley goes, like, has to like go to town, fetch some food for the child, and um, oh, crazy Cora, he comes back and is like, "Sorry, I don't. They didn't have your favorite color dress. No red. But I got you blue." So she's wearing a blue dress. She's got this ar Aboriginal child in her arm, covered in a red blanket and like uh the aboriginal child has a uh, very very blonde. shiny blonde hair very uh <laughs> glowy like you know the madonna and the baby Jesus. And the child, yeah, the, the little, yeah. Little and at one point isn't his hand injured so it's almost like the stigmata and, oh my god yeah see, like <laughs> it's a very all the, all the strategically placed blood at the bottom of the cliff yeah, yeah. so what is marston the snake in the desert Trying to tempt Jesus. Yeah. yeah there, oh, there should have been a shot of him eating an apple 
So do we have any other final thoughts? I pretty much said everything I could say about it. I still like it. I think it holds up, but that might be my nostalgia from having seen this as a child. It was it was a solid it's all about the journey movie. You know, just just a, a guy and a girl in a bad situation. There you go. <laughs> I was waiting. Bad situation down under. But no, I, I I enjoyed it. The score was great and sound design. The acting was was as good as it could be for you know. It, it was a lot of the writing, honestly. Um, you know, I haven't actually seen too many Westerns. So, you know, if it's at, at least the ones where they're like literally just sprawling the, the landscape and there's no little to no dialogue, um, you know, I'm comparing it to things like um, Hateful Eight and, you know, things where it's like it's very dialogue heavy. Um, you know westerns more yeah yeah so you know it felt a little slow to me but that's you know i'm not too familiar with um so many westerns and i but it was it was you know it's a good movie and you can't you can't argue with Selick's mustache i mean that's plus he's got the little soul patch he does yeah I actually do agree it could have been a little tighter that doesn't when he goes into the village and then comes back and then goes out again he could have just been going to get the gun and continue on to marston honestly that village scene like when the fire's happening is like a whole climax onto itself like you know i liked it but that could have been part of the whole marston thing like that is marston's town then he continues yeah. on from the fire and that's when they're all staying awake i did like that by the way yeah when, when he has them stay awake as long as possible because he know Mar knows Marston will overuse his men. That was neat. But... Yeah, a lot of little clever, like, tactical stuff yeah. on, on part of uh, Quigley in this movie. Yeah. Anything else, Corey? Rooney? Um, I kind of felt about this movie the way that Jeff felt about King of New York. It's, it felt very retrograde to me. Mm. It hasn't aged well, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I could I could see it still has its old fashioned charms. But uh it just you didn't play as well for me. You mostly don't like Giacomo, right? She's an albatross around the movie's neck for sure. Yeah. Um I just it felt was... like they could have they could have had a director who had a little more flair with the material. Because I, I really like what Jeff said. I felt like it was a TV film. It felt like a backdoor pilot. Like this could have been the setup for uh, a whole like series that Tom mm -hmm. Selleck was planning to do, like yeah. post Magnum PI or something. Like Briscoe County Jr. Yeah. Well, Briscoe. that's a great show. Magnum but that also incorporates a lot of sci fi elements too. Yeah. I wish we could have seen more of like uh, Jacques arc. Mm hmm. Um, yeah. Or really, like any kind of arc. Yeah, she has an anecdote that explains her tragic backstory, and that's supposed to redeem her more vexing qualities in a way. Yeah, but you can have a drinking game to how many times she says "Roy." Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Roy. Roy. I would. I would have left her behind. Well, that's I mean, gonna be almost did. Yeah. In the desert, that's gonna be the new thing. Whenever. 
Oh, no, maybe I'll get you. Start calling y'all Roy. Yeah. Oh, it is kind of funny. Um, for years, my our landlord is Roy Cobb. And I was like, why, when I'm writing our rent check, like, why do I know this name? Why, why do I know Roy Cobb? It's the pseudonym that he ends up using at the end because we never heard Cobb until the end. Yeah, that's so, true. And then she says, and I'm like, oh, that's where I've been. So it's just funny. Uh, what other movies came out this month, Corey? Oh, um, Barry Levinson uh, was uh, completing his Baltimore trilogy uh, with Avalon. Mm. Um, which is, uh, I guess, about an immigrant family coming to the U.S. Uh, I haven't seen it. I heard it's good. What are the other two? Um, you have Liberty Heights oh, that's and Diner. I want to know that, yeah. Diner, I think, is the best one. I, Although I, I haven't seen Avalon, so I can't really say. I never even heard of it. So um, You got Desperate Hours, which is a remake of a Humphrey Bogart movie. Uh, I actually watched this. Mm. Uh, in preparation for the podcast it's overwrought and overripe it's terrible you can't get mickey rourke to be the humphrey bogart role wow <laughs> yeah not my first and, choice. The, and the dialogue is really purple prose it's bad while we follow romeo let's go have a chat with juliet mm. <laughs> lindsey krauss oh. That cringe, man. I'm so sorry. Ah. Well, for sale sign is a sign of trouble. It's just every piece of dialogue. And it's Michael Cimino, too, who would work with Mickey Rourke in an infinitely better movie, which is You're the Dragon. Mm -hmm. Yikes. Um, Henry and June came out. Uh, I don't know if uh, you know much about this. It's kind of like an erotic drama. Yes. It's one of the movies to get NC-17, one of the few in the last yes. 30 um, I've heard it's good. Oh, wait, that's not Benny in June. Right? No, no, no. <laughs> there was no love triangle in that one, as far as I know. <clears throat> so I was going to say, I've seen that one, but no, that's not. Benny in June is a remake. <laughs> yeah. Ben and Jerry. Yeah. Um, no. There's no love Jerry, triangle in that either, as far as I Yeah. Um, you have one of the better Steven Seagal movies came out this month, uh, Mark for Death. That's what took first place the same week as Quigley. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know if anybody else a Steven Seagal fan. I figured not. This is one of the better ones if you plan on going through his filmography or his canon. I did like Under Siege. I will give him that. Okay, that's probably the most traditionally good one. But, but again, Tommy Lee Jones is in that, so that might have helped me. And Gary Busey. Yeah. And Erica Laniac coming out of the cake. Um, I got uh, Miller's Crossing, which is Coen Brothers doing a uh, Prohibition era gangster movie. Yeah. And Barry Sonnenfeld's cinematography in that is fantastic, especially the siege on um, Albert Finney's house is like a classic scene. Like they show that in cinematography class. Mm -hmm. so good. This is your favorite Coen Brothers, right? Wait, what? Isn't this your favorite comic book? Jimmy. We're always talking about Miller's Crossing and how much he loves it. I'm pretty sure that's not my favorite one. We watched is it one of them? Like, oh, this is my favorite Coen Brothers movie. I'm pretty, favorite. I'm pretty sure you're, you're, you're injecting uh, memories into my head. Don't worry. He hates it. it. It's what he, it's, 
I don't know. It's been a recent thing where I thought he liked something and then he doesn't. Yeah. Well, actually, this is one of those movies that uh, he's gaslighting me. I had to watch it like a few times in order to fully appreciate it Mm -hmm. because the first half is a little dry. It doesn't feel very Coen Brothers esque until the second half. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I would probably rank it among their best. I thought Uh, we would too. There's a uh, the prohibition era. There's a movie called Shakma. Or not John, uh, Gabriel Byrne. Uh, feature feature called Shakma, which is a uh, a baboon who's being experimented on with uh, with rage, uh, doses of rage, and it goes crazy in a hospital. This is on Prime, by the way. If anybody cares to watch it, I suggest you don't. But uh, Roddy McDowell, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Camping it up as one of the um, as the professor in this uh, medical facility, and uh, most of the movie is actually taken up by this D and D game that they're playing overnight at the hospital, that the baboon just happens to intrude upon. Does he sit down and play? It'd have been better. It's mm-hmm. funny uh, if you look at the trivia. There's a lot of scenes where the uh, baboon's trying to get to the victims through a door, so he's they. You can tell they clearly have something on the other side of the door that's provoking him. And if you look at the trivia, they have a female baboon in heat on the other side of the door. So if you freeze frame a couple of times, you can see Shackma's uh, engorged penis. Why would you want to? I'm just saying. Okay. But uh, <laughs> just I love Jeff's reaction right now. <laughs> well, they got they got to make. This. I zoned out for a hot second. That was what I came back. To. <laughs> yeah. He zoned out, and I brought him back in with engorged penis. I mean, he zoned um, out for a hot second. Um, speaking of Criterion releases this is a movie I don't know if Tristan got a chance to watch yet To Sleep With Anger I never got to yeah okay I know he has it Mm -hmm. but uh it's a you'd know more about the plot I guess Dan Dan Glover plays like um like a waiting for Godot type character only an evil one he comes in I guess he's uh the patriarch of this family or maybe the uncle it's like something wicked this way comes I can't find it um, one of Jeff's favorites, uh, Troll 2, came out this month. Um, if uh, you don't even need to necessarily see Troll 1 because there's no connective tissue between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, this is set actually, the weird thing is they're all goblins, but the town is spelled Nilbog, which is goblin spelled backwards. Yep, and uh, you know, to get the full flavor of the movie, I would suggest you watch Best Worst Movie, yes, which is a great documentary. And actually, if you buy it, you can get a copy of Troll 2 along with it. You know, for context. Yeah, for context. But you need to, like, but, you know, watching that documentary, you feel bad for the guy because the guy that directed it, like, genuinely thought that he was making, like, this this really just heartfelt masterpiece. And it just got shit on left and right. And, like, you know, it, Claudio it was... Claudio Right, it, it was kind of, it was almost like um, The Room, but if, you know, because he, because with The Room, Tommy Wiseau eventually was just like, okay, it's funny, you know, I'm going to use this. That's though, he's saying that now. Right, yeah, but. He's pissed off. But he, he wasn't as heartbroken as the guy that directed Troll 2. <laughs> Wait. Yeah, there's a couple times where you see. following for that movie? Oh, oh. yeah. 
okay. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, a, actually, there's... in fact, there's one scene in the movie, uh, Best Worst Movie, where he goes to a film festival where I think right. it's like a Troll 2 film festival. And people are laughing and having a good time. He's like, I don't understand. Why are they reacting this way to my film? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You might have a touch of the tism. <laughs> there's a touch of something. Yeah. Um, there was uh, Tom Savini's remake of Night of the Living Dead which is almost like a point and shoot remake. The only thing that makes this notable is uh, George Romero came back and he made little tweaks to the script. So now Barbara, instead of being like uh, kind of catatonic for most of the movie is more of the traditional like action heroine and did some other things <clears throat> that make it a little bit different from the original. Other than that shot in color and the zombie makeup's a little bit better, but I really think there's a pointless remake. I okay, really so it doesn't really anything. improve anything. No, in fact, it makes things worse, in my opinion. But I guess I'm in the minority in the horror community. Hmm. Uh, there was a Reversal of Fortune, which got Jeremy Irons an Oscar. I actually watched this because it was on Prime. Never seen it before. Very yeah, good. I've got to watch it. Um, it's actually more of a... Yeah. Uh, it's more of a dark comedy Ooh. than you'd realize. Um, it's actually about Klaus von Bülow. I don't know if many people remember that case, but uh, he was accused of uh, putting his wife, his wife into an insulin-induced coma and trying to kill her. And he was represented by Alan Dershowitz, who's played by Ron Silver, who actually should have, uh, as impressive as Jeremy Irons is, he should have got equally as much praise. Mm. Glenn Close plays uh, the wife, but obviously you only get to see her more in flashbacks. Mm -hmm. And it's great because she narrates some of the movie, but there, there's times where you're like, this could be like the unreliable narrator device. And most of it's from Klaus's point of view, so it could all be skewed. Interesting. And it's also one of the, it's a courtroom drama where you don't set foot, foot in a courtroom until maybe the last 10 minutes. Okay. So it's all about the legal process? Yeah, kind of like a few good men. Yeah, it's actually really, it's riveting. Mm. Um, there was White Palace, another erotic drama with, oh, James, America. with James Spader <laughs> and Susan Sarandon. Any good? It's one of those movie covers where he's like kissing her chest and she's looking up in ecstasy. Okay. Kind of like, you know, like White Orchid everything yeah. we're going for um, nc17 but no yeah uh there was graveyard shift which is an adaptation of uh stephen king's short story i actually think it's i think it's actually pretty underrated hmm. um it's about these uh guys who work down the mines and uh there's this big creature this kind of almost mutated bat has been killing them off systematically obviously it's set in maine um but the whole thing but the whole thing is just so grimy and filthy you, after you watch it, you're gonna want to take a shower you feel like you're getting tetanus just from watching it mm. um there was the hot spot which was directed by dennis hopper and um it stars uh don johnson and he's kind of like it's it's the typical noir. He's a drifter, comes into town, gets into uh, an illicit 
um, relationship with one of the locals. I think it's Virginia Madsen. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a murder subplot. Yeah. But uh, I haven't seen it. I, I, I want to see it. I have it over there. That's why I looked over there. Um, oh, do you? Yeah. So I've meant to see it. Did I you get that from Second and Charles when we were there? Yeah, I think I got it for a dollar there. Yeah. Damn, I should have bought that. Yeah. Um, and then there was a Sibling Rivalry, which is a Carl Reiner comedy. And apparently it's probably the worst of his career from what I hear. Who's in it? Kirstie Alley. And I think Drew Barrymore? Mm-hmm. No, I'm thinking Irreconcilable Differences. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I forget who else is in this. But yeah. I hear it's the worst movies ever directed. I've never heard of it, so clearly it did not take. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. All right, well, we have one more film to go through, right? Yeah. Our favorite segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you ready for this, Jeff? I have a... Uh, specific order to go through <laughs> yeah uh, questions that i have for you if you don't mind describing this poster to our listeners okay so we're looking at a suburban landscape at dusk mm-hmm. uh and there's a, a silhouette that looks like mel gibson or macgyver or something such a misrepresentation and you know sleeves rolled up and he's staring at a uh a gateway like a, a big rectangular doorway of just a blue sky and the sun that's just in the oh, middle of the doorway to heaven this dusk landscape it, it does look like a doorway to heaven uh and i yeah that's that's pretty much it's just a silhouette staring into the abyss right now so what do you think this is about i think it's about some guy who is about to die and find the other um you know it's an afterlife movie mm-hmm. um or some guy who claims to be able to see the afterlife okay is that accurate Corey? because i actually don't know the plot not at all okay <laughs> what would you call this then Obviously, it would have to be something with your plot that you've just described, but... Heaven is a place on Earth. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so... I'm surprised I haven't used that title. Um, or, no, no a... you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think, because he like, looks like he's in the middle of a cul-de-sac. Say, like, Heaven can patiently anticipate my arrival. Right. <laughs> okay. so, it's a sequel to Heaven Can Wait. Suburban Saturnalia. I don't know. Um, I don't know why this is set in the suburbs. This poster really has nothing to do with it. Okay. That's all right. Yeah, I, I don't know. There, here's a uh, catchphrase. All right. The tagline is Would you give up everything you have for everything you've ever wanted? Does that uh, ring any bells? Uh, so you're saying that's Mel Gibson, right? It's it's some dude who sells his oh, no, no, soul. Wait, it's some dude who sells his soul for, you know, he. he wants to switch lives with someone or like openly reincarnate. He's getting warmer. And I'm gonna do something a little different. I wanna give you the title and then I want you to guess who might be in this because I'm gonna have Corey describe the plot to you. Okay. Uh, So there's no way you're gonna get the title of the plot, right? I'm guessing, yeah. Let's let's just give you the title. Then meet Mr. Mr. Destiny. Destiny. Such a horrible title. (laughs) So- 
now knowing the title, do you have any idea what this could be about? Do you want to give one more chance before Corey describes it? A guy who gets the chance to see his future and has the opportunity to change what he's doing to finally get, you know, to, to meet up with his destiny. Yeah. Is that Tell the future? It's actually the reverse. Really? He gets to change something in the past and that branches off into a new uh, oh, future for himself. Okay. It's kind of like the family, man. It's kind of, it's more like it's a wonderful life. Yeah. Okay. So who would you cast as the person that gets to do this? And I would assume the person that gives him the opportunity. Is that uh, yeah, if I'm thinking it's the same person. Uh, yeah, the two names at the top. I'm trying to get... Yeah, I, I would think that's the other person who's... Who, would, who would you want to be in this film, Jeff? Would I want to? This yeah, what like classic this sounds, pairing? This, this sounds like a Tim Allen movie, honestly. That's or, uh, oh, like or, uh, Joe Somebody? Yeah. Yeah, or maybe Dennis Quaid and Morgan Freeman. Actually, you're not too bad with the type of pairing it is. Um, uh, both of those are sitcom stars. Yeah, let me get, let me get one more. Um, same look he, as the actor. He's been in comedic roles. Yeah, who yeah. played who played MacGyver? <laughs> uh, Robert. Yeah, no. It's Richard, not Dean Richard Dean Anderson. It's not him. I'm also I'm also marveling at the fact that it's the same. Let me tell you this: body, that body type. shape is not what the guy looks like. No, no. Are you okay. ready for this, Jeff? That's very misleading. Right, let's let's do it. There you go. Jim Carrey. No. James Belushi. James Belushi and Michael Caine. Does what? that look like James Belushi? They were in a movie together? <laughs> yep. I gotta see this. Yeah, is this no, you don't. watching? Jim Belushi and Michael Caine. Yep. That's... See, it worked too far off with Morgan Freeman being like the nice mentor that leads him through something. Michael Caine probably. I mean, you that. know, both, both Michael Caine and uh, Morgan Freeman were in, you know, the Batman movies. So yeah, they're like, basically the so same. So you're, you're approximately there. And, and Jim Belushi's discount Tim Taylor, so. Yeah. <laughs> According to Jim. Yep. Wow. Yep. I also, I, I thought it was interesting how the, uh, the typeface they chose was the same as the mask. Or vice versa, the mask I'll tell you what, the, took the same typeface. That poster looks more like that Manhattan Project than anything else. Yeah, I, I see what you're talking about. It's totally misleading. Yeah. So it looks like the Manhattan Project and the movie Bond? Yeah, oh boy. Well, see, I was getting, uh, ah, Jimmy. I was, I, I was getting Close Encounters uh, vibes from it, so I thought it was going to be something with aliens. It does look like he's getting beamed up. Looks like he's getting beamed up there. Oh my god! No, all right, but, um, all right. So the plot of this is um, James Belushi plays the executive. He feels like because he he bungled a championship baseball game when he was 15, his life has been altered in a way that's made everything go downhill for him. So Michael Caine gives him the opportunity to redo that baseball game, and then his life is like a uh, it's a like a rags to riches type tale so and also his girlfriend the movie is played by linda hamilton once he redoes everything it's renee russo and she gets to wear some lacy lingerie at one point so that's the only part worth watching um but it's weird to see uh 
James Belushi doesn't fit in this like Frank Capra esque fable. Doesn't really work with him. Who would you? Well, what, what do you? What do you mean it doesn't work? Like it's it's outside of his range, or it's just it's like outside you, of his you, range. He's kind of seeing it. He's kind of. It's just he. I usually envision him as like a slob. Jeez. <laughs> I'm like, just being honest. Yeah, I know. But uh, when there's parts where he has to be like a romantic lead, he doesn't quite pull it off. Mm. So you're saying he works better with the dog? The year he works. Yeah, you're right. Canine is way better, and so and he actually works better with Arnold in uh, Red Heat. Yeah. But like this, cast him as like a debonair romantic lead, um, and the movie itself. Is just kind of it's a it's a wonderful life, all over again, but it lessed the uh, the magic of that film. Even though this is produced by Disney, Touchstone technically. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Because I'm looking at this. Hmm. I'm trying to think of who would be good in the role instead, but back then. So if we did a remake, I mean, right now, still Michael Caine. <laughs> yeah, keep <laughs> Michael Caine. And Kermit the <laughs> Honestly, John Hamm might be good. Yeah. 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 Because he did that baseball movie. Oh, right. Million Dollar Arm. Yeah. Who would play young John Hamm? Oh, young John Hamm. Mm. Who did the remake? I don't know. Uh, I just went blank. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of kid actors. Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> I was thinking of that kid, uh, you know, Knives Out, the the Michael Shannon son. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, the he kid has the from Black Saint Eyebrows. Yeah. The kid from It. Yeah. Yeah, I knew you'd know which one by saying Knives Out, though. Then we wouldn't have gone through the entire casting. Yeah. Well, going going <laughs> off of that, either either John Hamm or I think Bill Hader would be good in this too, because that was actually who first came to mind, but it was way too early for him to do anything. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> I see John Ritter might have been good. Yeah, back then. Yeah. He's got a sweeter sentiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jim Jim's a little rougher. He's a little it. brusque. Yeah. yeah. I like he him. looks unrefined to me. Well, yeah. let me ask you something. Uh, has Jim Belushi done anything of recognition since, like, before? What Was he famous for his talent or because of his brother? I'd say his way. brother back then. But then he got his own stuff that showed that he could do stuff. I like right. him. But I mean, like, at the same time, like, this, this, this he didn't really have anything. Yeah, like, Salvador, he's really good. I guess Salvador oh, yeah. was before this. So yeah, all three of those are before this. Right. But also, I guess, like, John's death. It's kind of like Jake Gyllenhaal, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Like, yeah. I'm not quite sure who spawned who, but yeah. I feel like Maggie Gyllenhaal started it, and now she's kind of... Well, Jake's in City Slickers, away. actor, and then Maggie's Maggie got more famous first. But they were both in Donnie Darko, so, you know. Right. They kind of came up together. And I think Jim was coming up with John, but John's just more talented. And so it looked like Jim was always on his coattails. But yeah. he was doing his own stuff. Yeah. He's always going to live in his brother's shadow. And I know I know for a fact, he was on Twitter recently talking about like how his life's been. And he's like, I'm fine with it now. I'm happy. 
I've heard him yeah. talk about it, especially in that documentary. And he's just like, I barely knew my brother. He was like 10 years older than me. So by the time I was born. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little different than the Joan Hos then. Good for him. Yeah. But. Okay. So uh, the last part of our uh, show is usually the picks of the month. Yeah. And I was trying to decide uh, what we should go with. I think given that uh, we are big fans of Alan Rickman, I thought we'd go with uh, what our favorite Rickman movie is. I know there's a lot of villain roles we mentioned. Right. But I don't want to steal it. I would probably go with Galaxy Quest. Oh, actually, yeah. no, that's that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's funny you're going with Galaxy Quest. I I would have gone with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Quest. Quest. That's a good one. Um. Yeah. We gotta take Die Hard out of there because that's obvious. Yeah, Die Hard's out of the running. No, I gotta look. Die Hard and all the Harry Potter movies are out of the running. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, I like the fifth Harry Potter. Here's uh, here's one. Uh, dogma. dogma. Damn it. Dogma. <laughs> yeah, no, Dogma is a good one. That's 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 how like my introduction to uh, Mr. Rickman was. Dogma. Actually, one of his last. Oh, are you gonna leave me with Love? Actually, fuck you. <laughs> no, one of his last. I would say like Eye in the Sky. Really good. Yeah. I was gonna see that. Um. Also. Nobel's son. I never saw that. You said you liked that, didn't you? You saw that back when it came out, right, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember much about it, but I remember liking it. Yeah, he plays as Vintner or something. Yeah. Wine. Honestly, I really like him in Robin Hood. Oh, yeah. I had his action figure. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a funny Alan Rickman story. Um, I think I told Tristan this, but I was in London a couple of years ago um, and we went to go see Blythe Spirit with Angela Lansbury in it. And after the show, we went to kind of like wait for people by the stage door. And, you know, a couple of the cast members walked out and then Alan Rickman walked out. He, he hadn't gone, he wasn't in the show. He had just gone to see it, like just to support his friends. And so he just walked out and wandered down the alley and people kept trying to like get him to, to take pictures and autographs. He's like, no, no, it's not my show. Go like, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll see you guys later. Nothing and to do with this. God damn it. Right. Exactly. And it was just like, it was a weird rush with, with fame there, but you know, it was a humble, a humble dude. That's cool. Well, either way, I hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about Quigley. Uh, hopefully this doesn't sour you on westerns if this was your first one somehow but uh, remember to like uh, subscribe, rate uh, comment if you can we're on iTunes and Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts uh, and of course our YouTube channel uh, thanks for uh, listening or watching and we'll see you next time peace <laughs>